Today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. It is 5.55 p.m. on a Monday evening here in Northern California. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the show that I do each week that is powered by you and your questions sent in via Twitter, Reddit, and Facebook. Our delightful show, I refer to it as my unpolished turd. I make mistakes, I keep them in. It's a true reflection of who I am. Speaking of true reflections, incredibly thankful to have the Justice Brothers as an ongoing partner of our show, Cooper Tires as well, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Before we get rolling, give you a quick little update on the home front. We get a lot of those questions every week. Mrs. Pruitt, I tell you what, she is a one woman ass kicking party she's been putting in so much work in physical therapy making just insane insane progress (sighs) whatever the maximum amount of pride a man can have in his wife that's what i have she is legitimately my hero not a platitude it's not it's i mean it that woman is my hero and just incredible truly she is a fountain of inspiration (laughs) i i get tired uh sometimes and she just without saying it without knowing it probably just inspires everything inside me to be better because she and her will to get past the pretty serious obstacles that have been faced and overcome and that also continue to face her. Uh, yeah, just she, uh, I'm a writer y'all. I don't even have the words. She's just everything. She's just everything. It's, it's one thing when you are in a relationship and the person you sit across from wake up next to whatever it might be, is just awesome and you love each other and your life is great and birds are singing and rainbows are in the sky that's the dream when things go horribly horribly awry cancer arrives serious mobility challenges arrive and there's that instinct within your partner to never be defeated to restore themselves back to everything before things went wrong and not just for themselves right obviously there's a huge selfish component fighting for life fighting for quality but just to see her daily i refuse to be beaten i refuse to accept any word from any doctor or anyone that tells me i can't and that has happened or said that things won't happen and they have refuses to let her faith be diminished, uh, refuses to let any of that sidetrack anything. And yeah, of course, we've had days, weeks, you name it, where chemotherapy and other things just take such a brutal toll that in terms of two people being together, yada, 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 focus has just been on where it needs to be for her. But just seeing how far she's come, how much love 
she gives and warmth and the spirit and just the embodiment of such a beautiful soul who accepts the challenges because it's more than one put in front of her and who refuses for her and for me to let those things take her away tear us apart i mean there's a lot of a lot of ways things can go bad when dealing with life threatening issues so she's just been an example of how you deal with those things with grace and compassion and selflessness it's just crazy just just crazy so i mentioned some of that because those are the kinds of things that come to mind when i see comments and complaints about prize money being cut and some of this and some of that and this is not fair and that's not fair and i go i hear you i know maybe hopefully in the context of your life those things really are the only things pissing you off and that is so cool just just say that you know if we're talking what's not fair yeah hey i'm not gonna make as many thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions as i could have okay yeah that sucks um you know get back to folks on things that are a little bit sucky too so anyways she she always keeps me in the right headspace the right context uh to look at things the proper way and when i don't you know it's me failing not her but just sharing because y'all do send a lot of inquiries in about how mrs prude is doing and yeah um just that woman will not be stopped how cool is that got a couple other things to talk about uh you know i figure we'll probably cover them in your questions so and i want to get your questions and they're very good i love the questions y'all send in every week this is a great little private time for me not having to be caretaker looking after the house whatever we do have one cat in attendance for those who haven't listened before my cats for whatever reason when they hear me speak for however many minutes in a row realize it's podcast time and so they come into the office so rosie is currently asleep in the window getting a little bit of sun and rocky her older brother did as he often does jumped up on the chair put his we'll just call it backside his uh, little boy kitty parts try to put him in my face he does that somewhat regularly when we're recording and jumped down and left so i don't know what that means but you know backside of a cat in my face yeah there you go so to kick off the show here we're actually not going to go with a question you're going to go with something that a listener a listener that i appreciate quite a bit he sent in asked to remain anonymous and i just love this because it's charitable and he was wanting to share this anonymously wondering if it might affect anyone else to do something similar said he's been fortunate in his job that his income has not been affected by the pandemic also mentions that while that is the case he and his wife are not affluent by any means and he does some extra duty work extra pay uh, to help bring in a little bit of extra money to cover his racing habits mentions that he already budgeted to buy his 2021 indy 500 tickets 
says that now that his credit for this year is actually already paid for next year, says he decided to donate my ticket money from 2021 and the processing fee to charity. Says that is $249. This is a part I really love. Our listener goes on to say, I chose Wheeler Mission in Indianapolis because Jake Query did some stuff with them earlier this year. Jake Query, I love me some Jake Query. That's a good man right there. He is kind of kooky. He's a little bit insane, but if you know me, you know that those are the folks that I just run towards, not away from, but towards. Jake is a nut. You probably heard him, whether it's on IndyCar Radio, seen him on TV. Uh, he and I did some Indy Lights broadcasts together, NBC Gold, pit reporting, whatever. Jake's a good man at a radio show for a good long while in Indianapolis that was very popular. All those things combined. Jake's a good dude, so not a surprise to hear that he was doing some cool stuff around the Wheeler mission in Indianapolis. I love the fact that this is what inspired our listener to donate to Wheeler Mission. Our listener goes on to close and say, if you feel it's appropriate, tell, tell everybody, feel free. If you have the ability, you might be inspired to do something nice, whether that's a, a ticket refund or whatever it is. If you can, maybe this is a great time of year to spend a little bit of money to help others. And I think the note here in particular is in and around the 500. It's not a normal time. A lot of people relying on charity of others, money coming in, donations of all manner, all kind. Could be food, could be clothes, could be just a lot of good things that happen in and around the 500. And with so much disruption I love what one of our listeners has done here and said, you know, not rich by any means, but I do find myself with a little bit of excess. So let me try and help some people and maybe improve their lives. So just wanted to open the show with that. Love it. I love it. I love it. Let's get to our first question. And this is our man, Stuart Arith. Hey, Stuart. Says, Marshall, been listening to the show, but I haven't entered a question for a little while. You know why? I've been busy kicking the Corolla viruses behind, and it really wasn't a pleasant experience. It says, anyways, that's great to hear, by the way, Stuart. Uh, Corolla virus butt kicking, too. That's, uh, that cannot have been fun, but I'm glad to have you back, my friend. He says, so anyway, in a recent article on motorsport.com, it was said that Indy qualifying could be faster than the 1996 pole record of 236.986 mile per hour. Stewart asked, do you think this could be possible this year, given the extra weight of the aero screen, or will the extra weight of the screen make the engine manufacturers give the engines that extra little boost to give the cars the extra speed to compensate for the extra aero screen weight? Well, ah, that's a good one, Stuart. So... I have a friend or two that works at the aforementioned outlet. I don't know if they wrote this. I hope not because everything I've been told by all of my race engineer friends who do simulations and so on and so forth, I'll tell me that no, no, no. Ari's record is quadruple safe. Uh, just no, not at all. 
the the whole reason for IndyCar electing to go from medium boost, which is what they have given the cars in recent years and qualifying for the 500 to put up those 229, 230 mile an hour averages just to put up a good number. Well, this year they've gone to the highest of boost, which is great. Uh, what about a 1.4 PSI of extra boost? Or if you're a millibar person, 140 millibar up to 150 now is what they'll be using in qualifying. Um, that was done for one reason and one reason alone, not to knock off Ari's record here. It was, hey, we're bolting 58 pounds to the front of the car, and it's a little bit like a fishbowl, so it's going to create some wider aerodynamic wake, and that's going to slow the car down a little bit. So take this significant chunk of weight being bolted atop the cockpit, plus the aerodynamic impact it's going to have. If we don't dial up the boost to compensate well as you mentioned here if we don't compensate that medium boost setting is going to have us running not particularly impressive qualifying speeds compared to the bar we've set in the 229 230 range so everything i've been told has said no this is not going to be a record pursuit this is strictly a keeping us from going slower move. And I know of nobody so far that has said, yes, we are indeed hunting for records. It's, I hope we aren't slower than last year. And I hope the boost increase is enough to just zero the effect out. Uh, some of the engineers that I've spoken with, again, little not fearful, but saying, yeah, uh, I don't know if we're going to match last year's pole time, pole speed, I should say. So we're going to find out, obviously. But, yeah, uh, 236.986, unless some sort of miracle happens, Stuart, that I can't think of, there is no chance in the world that that sucker is going to fall. Uh, let's go to Jeremiah Morell from the fine Morell family of Indiana. He says, we have a field of 33 entries for the Indy 500. You know, I'm just going to throw in a little thing here, a little sidebar. Um, I'm really happy that the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this afternoon published an entry list for the race that had 33 entries on it. Why, Marshall Pruitt, are you happy that they did this? so I could stop getting texts and emails and questions from whomever about, hey, you're saying there's 33. I read on some other place that there's only 30 whatever number. Are you sure about your number? It happened again this morning. Do you know if this particular driver is in the field? Yes, I wrote about it two weeks ago. Get the reply back. Okay, well, on another site, they just listed them as a possibility. What do you know? There's 33 entries, just like I've said there was, and was going to be. Ding, ding, ding. What a coincidence. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah goes on to say, how close did Pippa Man, Oriole Servia, Stefan Wilson, and R.C. Enerson actually come 
to making something happen this year. He says, I assume all but Enerson had been in talks with Dale Coyne for the seat that went to James Davison. Well, let's see. I spoke with Pippa yesterday. I spoke with Oriole. I actually sing his name whenever I call him. Oriole. Spoke with Oriole. I think Friday, maybe? Saturday? I don't know. Uh, Stefan, pretty regular contact. Enerson, haven't spoken with him for a long time. Uh, when I tried to call him last, uh, he dodged my call and then told his team that I tried to call and they, I know that cause they told me about like, really dude. Okay. Um, <laughs> it looks like Pippa was never close. Unfortunately, I know last week on the show, I mentioned IndyCar was an active participant in making sure the 32nd and 33rd cars would be on the grid and by active participant, if you were to assume that I was saying came out of pocket for that, then yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's not a secret. It's not a bad thing. Not speaking out of turn. It's gone on for a really long time. Um, yes, as I mentioned last week, since there was some transactional leverage to apply, was very surprised that Pippa was not uh, required to be part of that, knowing the value she brings to the event how many fans she has, and so on. But apparently that was never a consideration. So I don't believe she was close at all, unfortunately. And as she said in our conversation yesterday, some of it which will be in an upcoming article, there's just been no corporate traction on her side whatsoever. Uh, Oriole felt like he was pretty close, uh, maybe a little bit, too far away time-wise to get things done. I do know that he's going to be in and around the Speedway, if not in Indy, within uh, either a couple hours drive or a one-hour flight. Uh, in, I think, I'm think i not exactly sure when, if it's going to be right when practice starts, but he'll be in and around there if uh, an opportunity opens up. Steph, I know, had conversations with many uh, I pointed him in a couple of directions when he asked of things that I knew behind the scenes. Nothing really came of that, unfortunately. I know that the dollar amount he was able to put together was it was a good effort for sure, but there certainly it wasn't enough to have any team owner going, aha, let's go. Because frankly, that's what those with the last couple of entries, that's their headspace, right? Okay. Yeah, I, I got a car. Sure, I do. Yeah, I could put it in the field. Uh, how are you going to make it worth my while? So uh, Steph really wasn't at that place to get some folks jumping up and down, or Oriole, or Pippa. Uh, and then on the Enerson topic, again, there there was some efforts here. We'll get to in the next question. That, yeah, could be fun. Um, here's what happened, as I understand it, with the Davison thing. I wrote about having spoken with his primary sponsor, the person that he does his racing with David bird, the bird family. Uh, they truly had to tell Dale Coyne We're not going to be able to do this third card this year, but a big downturn in business cannot afford it. And so granted they have other racing that they're doing together, but uh, this big Indy 500 expenditure was just too much. So they went away 
And that was that. I know that Mr. Bird was trying to put together some interesting and fun things with some other team owners, and that did not go anywhere as well. And then I believe late last week, uh, no, I apologize. I'm starting to forget my weeks. Late the week before, what was it, Monday, last Monday or Tuesday that I wrote about it? I don't know, whatever it was. Uh, And others wrote about it too. Um, Yeah, there were conversations that picked back up. And I think that's because the series said, hey, we know you have a car, Dale Coyne, and we know you could put a crew together, and let's see if we can come up with some good things to get this field of 33 in place. Um, So, yeah, and pretty awesome to hear as well the call to Rick Ware Racing, who's going to be in on this deal along with Brian Bellardi, who's been part of the last couple, two or three with the birds at coin and whatnot. So yeah, I'm stoked for what's happening there for our man Davison. And yeah, I wish that there were more seats available for the other drivers you mentioned. Uh, let's go to Ryan Terpstra next. He says, MP top gun racing isn't going to make it to the Indy 500 this year. No way. I would have guessed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this isn't something I celebrate. Um, I know, as I have explained, I'm not fond of being jerked around, which one of their co-owners decided was just going to be fun to do, but did spend some time on the phone with Bill Throckmorton, the other half of the ownership base, who is massively respected and enjoyed the conversation with him. We'll admit that it was a little bit weird to have him ask multiple times not to mention the team that they were trying to see if they could buy assets from a car and other equipment, which I wrote about. And I said, yeah, that's not a problem. Cause he said, we're really hoping after the 500 provided cars and torn up or whatever else to uh, see if we can do it afterwards. And I said, yeah, not a problem. And then, uh, I guess, I don't know. Was it today? Um, just all the business is kind of put out, <laughs> put out there. And I'm like, Wow, okay. Um, And then uh, the team that they were negotiating with, uh, yeah, maybe said some of the comments that were made in print did not have the utmost of truthiness in them. So, yeah, we might get some of that straightened out here towards the end of the week, Ryan, with one of my guests uh, who I'm hoping will uh, appear on our Day at Indy show. So all that said... Yeah, uh, was aware of the active efforts by the team to try and purchase car and assets from another team and didn't say anything about it in terms of who it was or any of the dramas behind the scenes there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I truly wish them the best and hope that they find the money to make something happen. The big sponsor that I've been told about for a while um again uh i can't tell you how real it was or wasn't but if it had happened the indy 500 would have had three branches of the military represented as sponsors so yeah uh yeah uh wish them the best hope that they find the money and hope that they can go forward and do good things if nothing else uh so that bill throckmorton can uh see this thing happen that he and his family and his wife 
really want to have happen. So genuinely, genuinely mean that. Uh, let's go to Daniel Summers Gill. He says, do you think the lack of competitive racing for Fernando Alonso, having not raced other than in the Dakar rally in sim racing since Le Mans June 2019, uh, and also having to adjust to the aero screen will hinder his Indy 500 preparations and prospects. Tell you what, Daniel, I think these things will take an hour, maybe two hours on Wednesday, and we will never know or remember that Fernando has not been in a car constantly since he last did a proper road race just think about this from this angle this is a person who has so many reps so many repetitions for decades the highest level but also diverse things sports cars of late in particular but the guy has just if you have something available he will likely go and test it go and race it This is a guy who is one of the true all-time greats in terms of talent. But this is a guy who, even if he hasn't driven in however long, uh, all of the decades of experience and his preparations, the way that he gets himself ready, the guy's mind, right? I mean, that thing is a sharpened tool. Zero concerns, Daniel about Fernando being off, taking a while, being out of tune. Obviously, the aero screen will be a new experience for him, but this guy was in with a shot of winning the race on his debut in 2017 in a car he didn't know, in all kinds of things he didn't know. Think about some of those kids who've maybe done a handful of races this year as a rookie, but have never turned a lap at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And, yeah, we expect Oliver Askew and a handful of others, Renus VK, to be super quick and so on. They haven't exactly done a ton of racing as well, and they know nothing about the Speedway. So, uh, granted, I know some of them have done Indy Lights races there, but I mean 230-plus miles an hour, very different world. Uh, Fernando Alonso, having raced there once, been there twice, having spent his life um, in motor racing vehicles, no issues, man. No concerns at all. The The big shock would be if he did struggle somehow. That would be the shocker. I just can't see it, though. Let's go to Robbie Bergren. Robbie says, Marshall, do you think there is a high, medium, or low likelihood that we will see Elio Castroneves driving full-time in IndyCar? And do you think he is going to take a large pay cut to get a ride? I would say low to answer that first part. Robbie closes by saying, in other words, if he had to choose between a ride at a competitive IndyCar team for little money or a factory sports car ride that pays him his current retainer, would he drive in IndyCar? Well, it's a very interesting question, Robbie, because while I didn't pose it like that, uh, more pose it along the lines of, so my old friend, I've known Elio since 1996, my old friend, I know you have a great desire to keep racing full-time 
and to do it in IndyCar if possible. Roger is not extending an offer to be a fourth driver, so you looking around to drive elsewhere would probably be the requirement. Uh, My old, old friend, uh, Roger is known for being very loyal to long-term employees who remain loyal to him. Do you really want to risk getting one more shot at an IndyCar title that, you know, unless it's with Roger or Chip or Michael is not going to happen? Or do you want to stay in Roger's general hemisphere? Maybe come back and do the 500 again, do whatever he asks, but hopefully stay loyal and get taken care of. And he understood the question, just didn't really want to answer it. The point he was trying to make to me was there's no guarantee of anything with Penske that's been offered so far. So should I just wait and hope or should I go out and actively search? And so this comes back to your question. I think we ran through this last week. I'm not going to do the whole thing again, but I can tell you that looking through the field, when you talk about pay, right? and even taking a pay cut, uh, there's nobody getting paid at the Foyt team, meaning the team comes out of pocket to pay for them. Now, are there drivers who bring sponsors, and from that sponsorship, they receive pay? Yes, but the team itself is not just on its own hiring drivers uh, because they are just floating in money and do that. That's not the case. Andretti Autosport, there is some hiring there. To have a seat open where there's sponsors and money ready to make that happen? Not at the moment. Uh, Yeah, the majority of their drivers are paid. And while I think Elio would be someone they would love to have, the team would have to either pitch one of their drivers, hold on to those sponsors, and have those sponsors get behind Elio, or put a 6th, 7th, 9th, whatever number car in the grid and go find the full budget to do that in order to pay Elio. After that, I know of no plans by Aaron McLaren SP to go to three cars, uh, nor do am I aware of a plan to get rid of either their drivers. Um, so there's that. Could there be a chance with Elio if they found the money? Possibly. But again, I know he was on their radar before they had really settled on their driver lineup, but there's that. Carlin is not paying anyone to drive for them. Uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, now they are, but Scott Dixon's not going anywhere and the Swedes aren't going anywhere. So... Yeah. Um, After that, Dale Coyne, we know, does not pay anybody to drive for them any longer. Now, again, does some money maybe trade hands for one driver based on the sponsorship coming in? Maybe. Uh, Could Dale maybe even be coming out of pocket a tiny bit uh, after our pal French Fry uh, was let go? You know, it's possible with one of their drivers, maybe, but that driver brings money to the team. So... Yeah, and the other driver has a full separate entrant and sponsor that brings their money, so Dale's not paying anyone to drive for him. Uh, I'm just looking at the other full-timers. Ed Carpenter Racing, 
These are drivers other than Ed, who I don't think is firing himself. Uh, these are drivers that bring funding that allows them to drive and get paid, so there's nothing there. Same with Meyer Shank Racing. Now, do they pay Jack? Probably, but Jack is also a pretty big conduit to uh, one of their primary sponsors happening. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, same thing. Um, Takuma's ride is funded. He is paid, obviously, professional driver, but uh, there are sponsors there specifically for Takuma that make that possible, and Graham as well. So they're good at finding sponsors, though. Could they? Maybe. And then there's Team Penske. So bottom line here, I don't see the team that if we're talking true paying a driver boy uh, i'm looking at one team two teams three teams there are four teams in the series andretti aero mclaren sp ganassi and penske that i would say are true we are going out and hiring you to drive for us. I'm not saying Graham Rahal isn't hired by his team, but again, there's a pretty active effort on his part and his family-run team to find sponsors to have him in that car. He's not a pay driver. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you look at Team Penske, they go out and pay good money to get the drivers that they have. Chip Ganassi Racing, Aero McLaren SP, we don't expect them to be paying the kids a ton, but uh, these are two kids who aren't bringing sponsors to the program. Oliver obviously has a million dollars from his Indy Lights graduation thing, but again, that doesn't pay for a season. And then there's Andretti. Most of their drivers have sponsors that pay for them. These are team-based sponsors. The team hires these drivers. So This is a terrible time, Robbie, to be a driver like Elio, who is out of a full-time ride next year in sports cars and loves, wants to get back to IndyCar and doesn't bring any money with him, and there aren't a ton of options. So really and truly, if this were to happen, we would probably be shocked at the driver that gets pitched out the door for him. And at 45, uh, that might be a harder argument to make uh, because in many instances, you're going to have to get rid of a younger driver who might be a champion, Indy 500 winner, or both. Yeah, tough times, man. The other quick thing, too, the low-paying IndyCar ride versus full salary in IMSA, uh, I think that might be the same thing. Uh, I'm just, just sharing sports cars for all, but a really small number of drivers. It really doesn't pay a ton. Like truly you can be the baddest of badasses, and you're making a salary each year that probably is hi Rocky. Thanks for meowing buddy. Um, it would probably match if you really hopeful that of a low-paying IndyCar seat. So, yeah, there's not money, 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 unfortunately, to go and grab in sporty cars. 
Uh, let's see where are we going next. John Badia. Hey there, man. So you wrote a whole bunch of words. Let me see how many. Your question is yeah, that's a, 345 words. Rocky, I'm recording, dude. Would you give it a break? He loves to sit out in the hallway and just meow and caterwaul and just be a little pain in the ass sometimes. Um, he might be a representation of me, actually, so maybe I shouldn't holler at him because I'd probably be doing the same if I was him. Uh, John asks, in terms of the actual race itself, what type of race do you think we will see for this year's Indy 500? He asks, has Firestone produced a specific tire for the new aero screens that is also specifically designed for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to help make things more racy? He says, judging by the race at Texas earlier this summer and the last few Indy 500 since the current aero package came in 2018, I fear it's going to be a lot more of a track position race. Uh, says, what are you predicting we'll see on race day? I'm not saying we need to go back to the 2013 to 2017 era we saw a record number of lead changes. He says, really, and where it seemed like passing was too easy, uh, but appears the current cars are far too sensitive to the heat and spread out too quickly on green flag runs. And that was a condensed version of your question, John. I hear you. Uh, I can't argue too much in saying that, yeah, uh, the raciness was not super awesome last year, uh, even the year before. Teams are allowed to use, which is brand new, a full-width rear-wing gurney flap to put more downforce on the car. Um, Rear downforce is a thing that has just been lacking too much, according to many drivers, since this new Universal Aero kit came in 2018. So last year they made some adjustments to provide more downforce options slight slight uptick in maximum downforce for the race or race running i should say this year even a little another notch above not crazy though so i think those things will help a little bit to keep things from spreading out too much but here's where i think things could get fun and fun to watch probably not fun to experience john as a driver, uh, don't know. By the time you're listening to this, we'll hopefully have posted a story about how this compressed Indy 500 schedule is probably going to be a real nightmare for a number of teams. And that's all from an angle of, hey, we just don't have as much time on the track as we are accustomed to. We've got a new arrow screen to learn. And boy, just not a lot of time so are we going to have cars that are super heavily refined and really close to one another and just running in whatever optimal form to the same degree we've seen last year the year before well the answer is going to be absolutely not and so this is where i think we could have some some variables john some fun firestone has not produced a specific tire that somehow matches or does something for the aero screen or whatever else so no that's not the case but i can tell you as i say somewhat frequently on the show the less time teams have to study it often benefits us in terms of a more dynamic show doesn't mean that from the outset there's crazy passing going all over the place it means 
some of the teams or drivers that you expect to always be up front are not because while who knows maybe they start off a run they start off the 500 in this case with their car just nailed just perfect and maybe as ambient conditions change wind whatever well all of a sudden that car falls pretty far out of the window and that team then struggles like mad to get it back in the window i think we're going to see more of that than we have in a while and the inverse always also happens where some of the smaller teams where you go yeah they suck never going to happen all of a sudden they find the right balance and they're going forward and you're going what is that driver or these handful of drivers what are they doing up there and why are some that expected to be up front towards the back that rising and falling that's the thing that happens when you just don't have as much practice time as you're used to and you have something new and significant like an arrow screen to figure out how that affects the handling how it really changes drafting how the hole being punched in the air is different and what that does is it one car back two cars back what's the kind of wake that might be uh, allowing for that proverbial slingshot again these are the things that i expect in talking with some drivers and race engineers for a story that i'm putting together on this they all tend to agree that yeah uh well first of all since we don't have as much time we've lost two full days of practice well we're probably going to have to go out there with a real purpose with what we do we're not going to be able to explore and experiment on setup and try this or hey we kind of like this direction all right well we're going to spend the next hour and a half wandering down that direction and just try little change little change and see and see no time does not allow for that get your plan sharp and tight and compact work it and then move on to the next thing so and you might not find what you're looking for and you might get lost and there certainly isn't enough time to get back on the path in some cases especially depending on when teams might lose a handle on what they need for setup so these are the things that i expect john i know that in speaking with some other colleagues some friends race engineer friends drivers and whatnot they're looking to practice and qualifying as a little bit of a harrowing thing another quick note too talking with simon pagino's race engineer ben bretzman obviously defending race winners Ben thinks qualifying is going to be tougher, less predictable than you might expect as well. And that also adds up to the practice angle, John. So we have no Tuesday. We're just starting on Wednesday now. And then the traditional kind of sort of most of the day on Monday running that we get after qualifying where we see huge packs. It's an amazing thing to behold. That's gone as well. So... What we expect, weather permitting, is uh, Wednesday and Thursday to be jam-packed with getting the setups dialed in for the aero screen, rookies obviously getting their ROPs done, refreshers getting done, but as soon as possible, teams getting into race running work, and then extending that deep into Friday, fast Friday, and waiting to call for the high boost to come in to later than maybe we've ever seen in this fast friday high boost shift 
this is going to be something where teams are just at a necessity taking all the time possible to work on race setups because they're, yeah, that's the thing that matters. So as a result, Ben was saying he expects teams to get into their qualifying sim runs later than ever. And also because he expects Friday to be crazy busy the whole time instead of teams doing what they normally do, go back to the garage, you know, have a long lunch, wait during the peak of the heat and the, the lack of great conditions, come back out a little bit later in the day. He said, no, I don't expect that at all. He says, I expect the track to be constantly busy. And for those who follow Indy 500 practice, you'll know that that's a bit of a rarity, right? You can get some lulls where there's just no cars on track or maybe it's just one or two or three and everyone else is back in the garage just sitting around waiting. He said, yeah, I don't think you're going to see a lot of waiting, especially on Friday. So what could that mean, John? Well, instead of those nice, clean, low-fuel, newish tire low downforce, high boost qualifying simulation runs. Go do your warm up and your four laps and get a read on how the car would handle. Said, I don't know if you're going to get a lot of free free track to do that. There might not be a lot of just clear qualifying simulation runs because of the on track activity and everyone starting it so late. So qualifying might be yet again fairly unpredictable. Uh, got Rocky here. What's up, dude? You jumping up? All right. Come on through, pal. He loves walking behind the microphone. Um, that's what I'm thinking, John. I think we're going to see some lack of whatever you expect to happen, happen. And maybe that's the saving grace with this shortened year and shortened everything. Maybe we are gifted a really good race. That's what I'm hoping for. The goodness of that race, though, admittedly, would probably come from adversity for some of the drivers that might be really popular that we don't want to have adversity. But eh, we'll find out. Let's go to our man, Stephen Killsdonk. says, Marshall, continued best wishes to you and your wife, Chabrell. Thanks, man. says, I'm seeing a lot of sentiment from people wishing that the Indy 500 uh, to be canceled rather than run without fans in attendance. Could you speak to the hypothetical impact this would have on IndyCar? is because I feel like many fans lack the imagination or understanding to grasp the impact such a decision would have. Absolutely. It's a great question, Stephen. And if you just heard something that sounded like me passing wind, it wasn't. It was me opening a carbonated bottle of water. So, sorry. Yeah, so the whole, if you can't have it the normal way and the way you want it, then don't run it at all thing, Stephen completely get that sentiment i really do uh there are many times this year where i've felt the same way some of you know i'm a fan of the wwe grew up on the wwf and even before that uh on whatever wrestling happened to be on on tv broadcast from the south or florida or whatever and i'll tell you i wish the wwe was not putting on their raw and smackdown shows and more than anything their pay-per-views because for hashtag me personally they're unwatchable in the training center with no fans it's it's just this thing that lacks energy excitement pop all of those things because what makes it special the 20,000 fans surrounding the ring emoting and popping and just 
whatever that th- they make the show the the in-ring entertainers obviously are creating the thing that folks are reacting to but without folks there to react to it i, I just can't watch it steven nor can my wife we haven't watched it in months because it's just like no this is not it the feeling a part of something communal even if you're at home i know this is again we're obviously watching this from home but talking about the indy 500 normally i'm there last year i wasn't had to fly home two days after qualifying with some of the things that have went really haywire and bad with my wife that we're still recovering from so for the first time in forever i had to watch the indianapolis 500 at home i hated it of course having been there and and just grinded all month long trying to win the coverage war. But I put all that stuff aside, knew that they had me covered. I could basically just watch as a fan. And I think by that point, my wife, uh, wife is in the hospital and was, I don't remember exactly what she wasn't coming out of surgery or anything like that, but it was a thing where trying actually, Stephen, I don't remember whether I watched it live or I taped it and watched it that night when I got home from the hospital, whatever it was, it was this weird kind of dissonance thing where having spent forever, forever at the Indy 500, I was having to consume it from afar. And while that was very strange and I, I'm going somewhere with this. The reactions of the crowd, the cheers, the right, the microphones that NBC sports had around the track and whatever else, like beyond the roar of the engines, but beyond the commentators, there was the ability for me to feel connected to the race because of the hundreds of thousands of people at the race and their rising or falling emotions, the whatever it might be, there was that ability to feel connected. So saying all of that, I am admitting that I have fears come Sunday, August 23rd, watching the Indy 500 without fans might be for hashtag me personally, a bit like watching the WWE. The in-ring performers, amazing. Without the fans and feeling connected to the fans and seeing their reactions and either going, boo, why are you reacting that way? Or, yeah, you feel the same way I do. Like, some of those silly human things makes a tribe out of us and whatever thing that we're doing trying to get connected without the tribal aspect, the communal aspect, Stephen. I get it. I get why some folks are saying maybe it should be canceled. You know, uh, this race was never meant to be run without fans. Maybe we should wait until we can have fans. The reason that that is not an option, though, even though inside I feel like i'm going to be disappointed by the race famous last words i'm sure it's going to be amazing and then i'll be eating crow yet again 
But despite everything inside of me, Stephen, that says, oh, man, this feels like a bad episode of SmackDown coming here. It has to happen for one simple reason. We will not have any races following the Indianapolis 500 because the vast majority of teams will not be functioning. The crazy effects of COVID-19 have already taken money out of team owners' pockets. In some cases, they have returned money because we're doing less racing than they pay, than those sponsors paid for, or drivers. In some cases, sponsors have said, we're just not going to make that next payment to you, and sorry, but you're going to have to figure it out. Um one way or the other we have a situation where the finances of the Indy 500 that is king that is the centerpiece of the budget for every single team so pick whatever sponsor on whatever your favorite team happens to be and the bulk of that sponsor's money is coming in because of the Indy 500 so without the ability to have fans without the ability to then or need to have big displays. Hey, we're a phone company, cellular company, or we're an oil company, or we're a whatever company. Automobile manufacturer, and we've rented a certain space of land inside the track, and we got a big display, and we're marketing and promoting and activating, and come on in, this is how we're generating value. And after the event, we can say that we counted... 19,473 people who signed up at our booth for our thing to get a free whatever, like all the metrics that equate to growth, contact, money, value. That whole system has been completely blown up because of the decision to have no fans. So really, the one thing that paying drivers and sponsors are finding value in is the television rating that NBC Sports can offer by the Indy 500 being held. Uh, I've heard rumor that six spaces will be made available to each entry for their, call it sponsors, corporate type folks, to be in attendance. Don't hold me to that. Could be wrong. Heard it from a person who's not prone to tell me nonsense. But nonetheless, I've heard that even though no fans know this, know that, there is going to be a concession to make sure that the heavy hitters, the CEO, chief marketing officer, chief financial officer, so on, the folks at the major companies who fund each entry or mom and dad who fund uh, some of the drivers, they will be allowed in, allowed in, I don't know where, if it's in some sort of hospitality suite or wherever it might be. But there will be a bit of a golden ticket type deal for the key men and women who make the finances happen. And that, Stephen, I think is a wise recognition because even in the absence of all the things that are being forfeited, you don't hold the Indy 500, those drivers, those businesses say, well, then what the hell else am I here for? 
And that's no disrespect to Gateway, which is the best in the world, or Mid-Ohio, or, well, again, you know, the Harvest Grand Prix. Um, St. Petersburg, the other races left on the schedule. Not that those, again, those are beautiful and amazing, and I love all of them. That that's I'm not. There's nothing bad being said there. But those are not the key reasons that sponsors, at this stage of the season, are remaining committed to IndyCar and the teams. They're remaining committed because of the 500. You take away the 500, you turn it off for the year, uh, the okay modest amounts of money that's been either refunded or not paid by those sponsors during COVID-19, all of a sudden that turns into your bank just exploded, all the money burned to a crisp, and you, my friend, are broke and out of business. Of course, there are some teams with team owners that are multimillionaires, could even be a billionaire too. But they're not of the disposition to pay for their own racing. Keep in mind, the racing part is just the on-track aspect of what we see. That's an obvious, duh, Pruitt statement, but sometimes that gets lost. Obviously, I'm not saying you got lost with this, Stephen, but I'm just sharing that sometimes it is forgotten that, yes, we want to go racing and the on-track stuff and so on and so forth. Well, that's great. But that's just a couple days for a team. The rest is then back at the shop. There's that full shop with multiple cars and dozens and dozens of employees and health care to pay for and truck leases and electricity. Like, yeah, the racing is expensive. The operating a business with lots of people that's the most expensive part. And when you take away the things that pay for those things, all of a sudden, as uh, our friend Mike Hole likes to say, team owners start to get alligator arms. they got short little tiny arms that can't reach into their pocket and can't pay for things. And that's not because team owners are bad. That's not a criticism of team owners. That's smart business. You do not... Keeps you do not burn your own money and giant amounts of it in the absence of business. You shut the business down. You hope to start the business over again when opportunity comes your way. That's just a fundamental thing. The, hey, yeah, you're a wealthy guy and you've got a team and you've got sponsors that pay for it. Well, if the sponsors go away, you could just pay for it. Uh, <laughs> there's no team owner going, yeah, sure. They all go, no. I'm not going to risk myself, my family, my whatever. Uh, this is an expendable thing. And if I can't get someone to pay for it, I'm not going to be the one forking out millions, 10 million or more for a multi-car team just because. So that's why we're doing the 500. And I wanted to visit on this for just a little bit because it's a great question. Totally agree. It's not going to be the same I hope the race is entertaining and I hope that I forget and all of you forget that there are no fans there. I don't know how that would happen, but maybe it will. It has to happen though, because without it, team owners go belly up. Team owners don't answer the bell. I think for gateway, 
Maybe they try and get to Gateway. Who knows? But uh, if how, let's just say, okay, no Indy 500. Well, they'll try and get through Gateway. Then we've got a September filled with nothing. We are going to see mass unemployment within the IndyCar series, paddock and otherwise. Um, yeah, this would be scary. So four teams to get the big valuable income that their sponsors and drivers pay for. Got to have the Indy 500. No other option. Let's go to our pal JJ Gertler. Hey, JJ. It's Marshall with Hinchcliffe, Borday, and Castroneves all looking for full-time rides. This would seem to be an excellent opportunity to start a new team. Assuming you are not buying out assets from an existing team but starting from scratch, what does it cost to create an IndyCar team? That's a great question, JJ. I probably should have read this in advance and looked through some wild notes because I don't always commit these things to memory. Uh, if you're buying a new car and outfitting it with everything, I do recall being told that that was about, and I mean everything, not just the purchase price, you know, that's one number, but all the other bits that come with it and preparing it all, getting everything done to everything as needed and assembling it all, you know, 700 grand, 800 grand per car engine leases, what? 1.1 1. 1 and a half or so 1.2 Tire lease for the year is what, 700, 800, something like that. I might be off in that number. But yeah, between your engine and tire lease, you're already at $2 million of need. Assuming you mentioned three drivers, but uh, let's just say we're going with one. Uh, Yeah, Uh, with the chassis, with spares, right? Because they're going to hit things. Uh, And your extra noses, your extra, I'm sorry, front noses, hashtag front nose. Um. (laughs) and your side pods your diffuser your underwing your all the things that get hit yeah uh just assets money going out the door either in lease or vehicular terms for the first year assuming you don't even do a spare car but you just really try and get a bunch of spares going for it yeah you're probably at three and a half million right there then you get to hire a bunch of good people to run it for you then you do all the normal stuff again who knows if you're buying a shop building a shop leasing a shop transporter truck <laughs> insurance for all those things again i already mentioned things like health care and whatever else uh, outfitting the whole place all the pit equipment that you need then think about travel right got to send a lot of people around the country this year not so much by plane but normally Lots of planes, lots of hotel nights, uh, rental cars and such. Got to pay a driver, maybe? You mentioned three drivers that are pay drivers. Yeah, those guys, depending, you know. I don't know if you're going to get any one of them for less than half a million a year. Uh, some of them accustomed to making seven fifty or more. Talking peak IndyCar time. You know, not peak, but recent good IndyCar times. Um you start to add all that stuff up, man, and it is no, 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 no joke. So when you hear about budgets being $6 million for the year, that's a real number. Granted, it doesn't include the car purchase and some of the other purchases that would hopefully be amortized over a number of years. But you get things like research and development. The, hey, everybody tries to make their car better than one another. How do you do that? Well, you spend a lot of money in the off season, if you can. But to be serious, you spend money. 
and you have a lot of projects, R&D projects, that can certainly soak up hundreds of thousands, if not more, if you allow it to. So depends how top-heavy you are, JJ, in your management, right? Do you have lots of managers, managerial-level types? Those aren't cheap. Um, again, there's some infrastructure things that can certainly dial up the budgets and whatnot, but you know, it would be hard to put together a team without spending many, many, many millions, my friend. Let's go to Sean Lee. Says, first, I owe you an apology for my poor sentence structure from a few weeks back. Um, you called me out for my poor grammar, and I deserved it. Uh, he says, I can't always vouch for my level of sobriety when submitting questions. I'll do better. Well, come on, man. You, I know you don't know me, but uh, hopefully you know me enough from the show that if I can take the piss out of somebody, I will. I have folks taking it out of me every day multiple times and it's that's the fun of life so even if i'm giving you a little bit of grief just know that it's not like true grief it's either love or humor or stupidity and yeah although i haven't had a beer in a long time hopefully my levels of sobriety while recording will get back to questionable levels like yours Uh, he says my question is uh, why is there so much variance between car performance among teams? This is a great follow-up question that Tim Falkwitz placed right behind JJ's. I'm taking a sip of coffee there. Uh, he says, hashtag me personally. I think that if, say, a Penske car sets a pole, then the rest of the cars would always be within thousands of a second and always between all teams. But that doesn't always happen. Is it fall-off between driver talent, car setups, uh, which then makes me ask, how much info sharing is there between a team? Like, is Penske a one-team thing, or is it like four teams under one roof this month? Love this question, Sean, and get it every month or two or something along those lines. might be on the show, might be somewhere else, but I love this question because it's always fun explaining it. So I don't know what other sport, stick and ball sport, you might really, really like along with motor racing and IndyCar. But the best answer I find is kicking it out of open wheel or racing in general and into basketball. Basketball is one of my favorite things, has been for a long time. So replace the Delara DW12 Chevy or Honda, as I watch Rosie attack something through the window here. Um, Replace that IndyCar chassis that you might think would be identical across all teams and therefore everyone should be within a few thousands. Replace that with a basketball and say, hey, okay, uh, what makes my local Golden State Warriors when they were destroying everyone in the NBA using the same basketball as the other team What makes them so devastating and unbeatable? And then all of a sudden, in a one-year span, they are legitimately the worst. Gone from the best, one of the two best. I know the Raptors beat them in the finals. You know, some injuries there that took some of our best players off, but that's okay. What made the Warriors go from being 
basically the best to the worst in about a one-year span. Well, it's talent. (laughs) It's talent. It's the same basketball, man. They're all bouncing the same basketballs. Pick whatever team you like, don't like, whatever. Hey, why are the Milwaukee Bucks, why are they so good? Why are the Lakers so good compared to name some of the other garbage teams that are just nowhere near being good? Well, uh, the structure is the same. There's the same amount of players on each team. Coaching staff's about the same number of people. They all have similar pedigrees. They're all using the same exact everything. The courts are identical in length, height, the rims, the ball. I mean, truly, it's a perfect facsimile of what we have in IndyCar. And yet, there are teams currently playing in the NBA bubble, vying for a championship, while the other half are sitting at home because they stank so bad with the same exact ball, same court, same everything, same structure. It really does come down to people, Sean, but also money, and that's another thing that's similar to the NBA and some other stick-and-ball sports that have uh, financial caps. We don't have a cap so much in IndyCar, but we do know that some basketball teams might spend poorly on the wrong people, big contracts, whatever, that limits their ability to go out and get enough talent to surround the rest of the team with what they would need to be competitive. So this is a case where, honestly, that car is no different than a ball or a bat or a whatever else in any other major sport. It does come down to the people. And so close this here quickly, Sean, by saying we look at name the team you love and you say, wow, they're doing amazing this year. And they might not have the most talented team, but boy, they have an amazing head coach or coaching system. We see that from time to time here in IndyCar 2, right? You go, wow, that race engineer is just all-time great. And they're working with the driver might not be an all-time great, but they are certainly able to get more out of this really good talent, but maybe not, oh my goodness, talent. Look at what that kind of coach slash race engineer, maybe it's a race strategist who's calling perfect stuff that's getting him onto the podium or victory lane. You know, there there are times where we certainly see drivers are flattered by the folks on the timing stand and are performing well because of the people they're surrounded by. We see other times as well where the driver is so freaking good, they can transform a team and really get them to a place they hadn't been before or hadn't been in a while. I'm thinking of Robert Wickens, for example, in 2018. A lot of folks had never heard of his race engineer, Blair Perschbacher, before that. In IndyCar, of course, but externally, it wasn't a guy being written about a lot. Now, was he a really good engineer before Robert Wickens got there? Absolutely partnered with Robert Wickens, were they able to go to a whole different level that caught everybody's attention and took the Aero SPM team to a very different place? 100%. We see that again, man, in other forms of the sport where you go, or not racing sport, but other sports where you go, whoa, 
They just got this player, and all of a sudden that team is highly competitive where it wasn't mentioned with the Warriors. Insane talent. And all of a sudden, Clay Thompson blows out his knee. Kevin Durant is having his calf issues, then leaves. And Steph Curry breaks this bone in his wrist, and all of a sudden the Warriors are lacking Kevin Durant, (laughs) Stephen Curry, (laughs) and Clay Thompson. And Andre Iguodala left as well. Uh, They had to get rid of him uh, for salary cap reasons. But all of a sudden, like, the... You go, wow, we've just lost our Joseph Newgarden. We've just lost our Simon Pagano, and we've lost um, Will Power as well. Yeah, uh, not a surprise. Team Penske is now scraping the bottom of the barrel because while the coaching is still great and all kinds of other things are great, uh, the folks that are filling those seats formerly occupied by Newgarden, Pagano, and Power, uh, yeah, they they might not be the ones. And no disrespect to the other Warrior players, but yeah, it was hot garbage. They were terrible because their most effective weapons weren't there. Well, again, Sean, it's the same thing with IndyCar. Yeah, these cars are all more or less identical. Um, but how the teams work with them, the structure, the talent, the creativity, the inventiveness, you know, all the things that we see in the other sports. Look at the play that Bill Belichick ran and this happened. Or man, all these things. You go, wow, okay. It's the same tool. Everyone's using the same tool, working in the same rules. But man, you want to talk about differences? It's not the tool itself that is really responsible for the vast differences. It's the people working with it. Let's go to Kevin Frederico. Hey, Kev. This AMP with the current team owners, youth movement trend in hiring drivers. Are the teams are serious concerned about aging crew members. So since it seems most crewmen's age tend to be in the higher side, this is now with COVID affecting middle age and older and more. Wouldn't it be wise for team owners to try and attract or cultivate younger talent? We're going over the wall. Uh, let's see. Um, according to team manager Taylor Kyle of Spam, a guy can luck into the sport without having any prior experience. Be thankful for getting a chance to try it out on faith, uh, yet won't return the favor for someone else. Uh, makes me wonder, is it the kind of exclusive club mentality that's preventing new blood? Um, also mentions it's sort of like how Quarter marshals are now becoming harder to come by. Very much the case. This is most, most are aging out but not being replaced. There's something here for sure, Kevin. We are seeing, we have been seeing a, a youthification in some teams for sure, just as some of their older crew members are, I don't want to say aging out, but, you know, how many times can you hit the concrete hard with your knees uh, going to change a tire, even with knee pads. You do that enough times for enough years and get you tweak something. You know, a lot of backs in particular, the older crew members, every crew mem- older crew member, especially the ones that go over the wall, just you can guarantee they've got on some sort of back support, a girdle or whatever, and they're in frequent pain because they just take a pounding over the years lifting and craning and twisting and uh twisting and lifting uh yeah so to your point it's certainly a thing 
but I can tell you that I've seen pit lane getting a little bit younger, incrementally younger, where I think this might become more of a pressing topic is there's an overall struggle to get new crew members who are qualified to be in IndyCar. A lot of folks are going to NASCAR. There's better money to be made, more consistent work, longer year, etc. Um, some of the older crew members have also said, you know what? Go do sports cars. I like that IMSA calendar. It goes from January to October most years. Races are pretty far spread out. Not a huge grind by comparison to IndyCar. I'm going to go do that. And you struggle then to get qualified people to come right in and backfill their positions, Kev. So what I wonder, what I think is going to have to happen is this road to Indy this road to Indy ladder system that we think of so often for drivers developing drivers there's always been an aspect of always been an aspect of crew members learning as well and moving up the ladder I'm raising my hand right now because I am that guy I spent almost 10 years on what we would call the road to Indy today before getting to IndyCar and if I had tried a little harder or maybe been better, I probably would have gotten there a few years earlier. But I spent many years learning and training and got to do a lot of things. So by the time I arrived in IndyCar, while I was not great, I was very competent and could do many things, either with a wrench or engineering or computers or management or whatever. Done a lot of different things made me, say, more valuable than some others who could only do one thing. But that's what I was able to do while learning on the road to Indy. I know that there are certainly crew members that come into IndyCar having worked on the road to Indy or in IMSA and whatnot. Again, that always happens, has always happened. But I think the urgency might increase. Certainly, as some of our, our crew members are you know, getting a little bit older, just like some of our drivers. Uh, there, there's a bit of a, a cultural shift coming age-wise here. So I think this is going to be part of it too, and well-spotted, Kev. Final thing that jumps out here, Roger Penske talking about his ambitions for Indy Lights to have each IndyCar team either aligned with an existing Lights business or starting their own. I think that's going to also become something where teams start to really set up their own crew development farm as well, not just the drivers, but really truly trying to groom more crew members in-house and have them there ready to move up and backfill those who either retire or move on to other things. Uh, we're going to get to the last couple of questions here. There's some fun ones, and there's also some serious-ish ones. We're going to go to Jonas Magnuson. Hey, Jonas. I don't know. I think maybe you've sent something in before. I don't remember. If not, I apologize for forgetting. But if this is your first, thanks, man. He says, hi, MP. He says, uh, Lanus Lundquist, Lundquist, I should say, uh, has eight straight victories in the worst name for a series ever, Formula Regional Americas, formerly known as... USF4F4 
four U.S. Americas or something. Um, Jonas says, Beating the Lights of uh, David Malukas, Daniel Frost, Santi Arusha. says, Do you think Indie Lights is the next logical step for him, or could there be interest from an IndyCar team already in 2021? Also says, thanks for a great podcast. Well, it's really sweet of you to say that, Jonas. So just overstating the obvious here, we don't have a 2020 Indie Light season, which sucks. That's the reason Lucas Frost, Santi, and some others are either doing Indie Pro 2000, the Formula Regional Americas, F4, F3, whatever. There's not a lights series to have. We're talking IndyCar, talking Linus, and I was I did refer to him as Linus, and I believe it was Felix Rosenquist who said it meant pronounce his first name as Linus. So going with what I think I heard from Felix, but if I didn't hear it, I don't know. Uh, I'm dumb and sleepy. Two things here, brother. He could win the rest of the races. Every single race there is just set records destroy the field, become the champion. It hasn't happened, unfortunately, in front of IndyCar team owners. They haven't seen it. All they would have done is read about it because the SCCA Pro Racing slash uh, Tony Perella uh, managed and run series here, Formula Regional Americas, it's not affiliated with IndyCar. Honda's involved, which is great. Honda Performance Development. And I mean it, seriously, that's great. And what, I believe the winner of this, I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but I believe the winner will get a test in an IndyCar. But this is not something that has happened in front of IndyCar teams to go, ooh, take a look at that. In the same way that folks got to see Oliver Askew kick a lot of Askew or Colton Herta or Pato Award. So that's something we cannot ignore. If Linus has money... And I don't know about this aspect of him. It's just my ignorance. If he has sponsors or family money that would put him into an IndyCar next year, then the answer is absolutely yes. He could be an IndyCar next year. If the question is, could Linus, after eight straight wins, let's just say he just keeps doing his thing, wins the championship, would that be a thing that caused an IndyCar team to look at him seriously and offer him a ride? Zero percent chance. Isn't happening. Uh, back to the Elio Castroneves thing. I can't really find a scenario where a three-time Indy 500 winner, guy who finished, what, fourth in his last full season of IndyCar just a few years ago, if one of the biggest names in IndyCar racing of the last 20 years who is a hundred percent known quantity and who would seriously benefit almost any team he could go to. If I can't figure out a way for that guy to be offered money to drive an IndyCar next year, a kid that IndyCar team owners haven't seen in front of them doing all of these great things, provided he doesn't have family money or sponsors to pay for it. They sure as heck aren't going to be reaching out, offering him money to drive. And that's the economy that we're in, unfortunately, Jonas. So Indy Lights next year, 
provided uh again everything goes well we get indie lights back linus has the ability to do indie lights that would be a really smart thing for him to consider if opportunity is the thing he wants to create for himself you just got to think about who needs to see you to then possibly create that opportunity since indycar team owners aren't seeing him that's a huge disconnect we can't overlook even if he wins uh, the Indy Lights Championship and gets that million dollars, he's still going to need a lot of money to fill out a budget. So the Aero McLaren SPs where you hire a Pato Award and you find the majority of the money for Oliver Askew or the Colton Herta uh, being brought into a team and paid money to drive straight out of Indy Lights these are rarities, and those are two recognized, ho- or two or three, holy crap, type talents. Um, not saying that Linus is not capable of reaching their level, just saying that you got to do things in front of people to make them see you are the exception to the rule. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Sasha Khan. Hey, Sasha. MP. Uh, my idea a couple of weeks ago about running the super speedway wings of the Harvest Grand Prix, you mentioned it would be, uh, it would heavily accentuate the best uh, of the front row from the rest. He says, let's, she says, let's combine that with the other idea of inverse, <laughs> inverting the start. And let's see, uh, wow, power. Dixon, Newgard, Rossi, Pagano coming through the field. Sign me up. She says, on another note, uh, from the not well thought out and not my money category, Penske should look at lights for IMS and possibly move the race to Saturday night for one big reason. All right, let's see the big reason for the Harvest GP Saturday night. Says uh, She says, I think the IndyCar contract with NBC expires after 2021. I'd assume Saturday night would have a better national ratings than 1 p.m. Eastern on a Sunday. Uh, it could also help entice NASCAR drivers. Uh, maybe the 500 could put up bigger ratings on a Saturday night too. I'd assume they could sign a more favorable TV extension, helping to pay for the lights. Could also boost attendance for the Brickyard 400. RP has obviously spent a lot already with little return, so we'd have to really calculate the projected ROI, return on investment. But depending upon the cost and the potential increase in TV money, it could be worth it. Well, Sasha, love the idea. I don't really think there's any TV money, by the way, for IndyCar. Um, I'm not saying there isn't, I don't know if they're, again, I, I only know of that not really being a thing, like a really meaningful thing. Um, yeah, you might get some folks, traditionalists who bristle at the idea of the Indy 500 being moved to a Saturday night race. Um, I don't know. I do kind of like the idea just cause I'm an anarchist. So yeah. Uh, why don't we invert the Indy 500 field, too, under the lights? Huh? I mean, if we're going to do it, Sasha, let's just do it. Um, Yeah. Go ahead and kind of pencil in a lot of safe calls after the Indy 500 by Penske Entertainment, IndyCar, IMS, etc. The financial hit being taken, I don't know if I'm going to end up finishing this piece that I started about Roger Penske being the bravest guy person at Indianapolis this month uh, because of the willful decision to lose bazillions and 
jeopardize, you know, really put IndyCar in a financial hole for multiple years. Uh, this is just something where I, I worry that we're going to be hearing about layoffs after the 500 uh, on the IndyCar and IMS side. More, more, quote, redundancies because of the financial impact. I'm concerned that potentially some of the other programs they have or want to do could suffer, not because there's a lack of will for them, but if you're having to cut money and, I'm sorry, if you're having to cut people and your dollars are now really, really thin, just like we've seen in some other racing championships, Corvette saying, hey, Corvette Racing saying, hey, we we love Le Mans. That's our big thing every year. We go and race there and sometimes win. We're not going. Um, Porsche pulling out of IMSA at the end of the year saying, yeah, we can't, can't be doing factory racing when we're having to cut jobs and sales are down. And when others in our big family are hurting, we can't really be the one saying, yeah, sorry, you're hurting, but we're going to eat cake. Um, I think that kind of mindset Sasha might apply here. I expect it to apply. So if we're having to look at cutting more employees and potentially trimming some other things that were good or whatever they might be wanting to do, uh, cutting those things altogether, trimming them down significantly all in the name of cost reductions. Yeah. So I love the idea. Again, the not my money category is one of my favorite, right? Hey, uh, of all the ways people should spend their money for amusement, I think they should. Um, That's a fun game, but going a little bit serious here to close. Love the idea, but I do also think we're going to hear about a lot of belt tightening at 16th and Georgetown and everything regarding American Open Wheel Racing after the Indy 500 because, yeah, they've sold 70,000 tickets and they're keeping that money, but, yeah, all the other things they're not making money on, all the other tickets they aren't selling, keep in mind next year as well. Those are 70,000 fewer tickets to sell, so the impact is still being felt. Um, I have sympathy for Roger for a year where everything, (laughs) everything, it seems that could go wrong, continues to go wrong. So, yeah, I think we're going to buckle in for a little bit more of the not fun here, sadly. But I do love your idea, Sasha. Really do. Uh, let's see. Jameen Tuttle, MP. Why the hate for the Indy Grand Prix from so many? Says, I get that it's not a track uh, that's at the level of Road America or Laguna Seca, but with no Kentucky Speedway coming anytime soon, but we'll keep hoping. The Speedway is my home track. The two-day value for a family is amazing, when all the road to indie groups run, the access you get without even having a bronze badge is surprising. And the racing through the field from the uh, different viewer mounts is great. Hoping the Harvest GP allows fans because having the indie cars and sports cars has my 13-year-old very excited. Also kindly closes by saying, always enjoy the show. All the best to you and your wife and the cats. Once again, and I use this phrase at least once an episode. I hear you, Jermaine. I really do. Uh, I would say the not love, the anti-love for the Indy Grand Prix. Probably mostly reserved for those who haven't been there. Uh, 
would say it's probably folks unlike yourself where it is your home race bring the kids and you have fun um i wasn't sure it was going to be good when it was first announced and was pleasantly surprised really enjoyed walking around seeing fans and families all the things you mentioned i probably saw you and the family there i enjoyed it Uh, the racing's been on average good not always great last year uh pagano chasing down dixon in the rain and so, like that was kind of thrilling that doesn't happen very often but i'd say the racing's been good i don't know if we've had a bunch of real barn burners like oh my god we got to do this two three five times a year so i think that's the maybe the sentiment of it's not a classic circuit in terms of the road course it's not a not a track that by its nature just invites a lot of crazy excitement in terms of passing unless there's some sort of crash or whatever going on. Um, so I get why it might not be a huge thriller for those who don't shed a lot of love on it. As someone who's been there for all of them, except for this year's races, but whatever that was, the first four or five, I genuinely enjoyed it. And it was cool walking around seeing people who, by and large, seem to really enjoy it as well. We get those tracks, right? There are some places where you go, meh, I don't get it. Watching it on TV, looks like it halfway sucks, and meh, the crowd isn't crazy big, so why do you do it? And sometimes you go there and you realize, okay, well, get what I saw on TV, but on the ground, it's actually pretty enjoyable. I'd put the Harvest GP slash Indie GP in that category. Hashtag me, personally. All right, we're going to get to our pal Matt Anderson after I enjoy some of my carbonated water. It says, Marshall reposted and condensed with NASCAR and IndyCar having financial, financially finally broken the ice uh, in regards to hosting a race together. What about taking to the next level and making the Memorial Day weekend double an officially endorsed challenge? NASCAR would need to move... They're a 600-mile race to Saturday night, but with the new cup car coming online, it would finally give drivers on both series a chance to be competitive in either race. Have each series set aside a small percentage of the TV money for each, for each race to go towards a purse for a driver to sweep both races, plus a title sponsor for the challenge, and have the purse roll over each year until somebody wins it all. Every year that it doesn't get claimed would just build more excitement and attention for both races. Matt, I think you got a heck of an idea here. I love the idea of formalizing the double. Something first done by our dear, beloved, and departed John Andretti. I love formalizing that. And since the, again, the Coca-Cola 600 is what I've always known it as. Since that's been, you know, really a thing, I do love the idea of this. Now, Making it a Saturday night race, that'd be a blast. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, Saturday night. Drivers just exhausting themselves there, assuming the cars are still going to be crazy hot in cup. Um, And then at least not having to crazy sprint to Indianapolis. In theory, you know, could try and get into bed. Granted, still an early rise, still an early start on Sunday. But... I love the idea. I love the let's formalize it and make it happen. Moving on to Steve Grinstead as we wind down here, says MP with the likely proposed college football season being delayed or canceled this fall. 
Is there any chance IndyCar could extend its season further to compensate? Says, I'm particularly thinking Barber might be a possibility. Any others I'm not thinking about? Well, my brother Steve, uh, the one you're not thinking about is IndyCar taking a huge financial hit this year. And its teams taking a huge financial hit this year. So the idea of having to run more races is probably something that would scare everyone to bejesus level. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, college football not happening could certainly be a place that IndyCar could fill on Saturdays, I guess. But still need to come back to one overriding thing, my friend. There's not a lot of money happening in IndyCar right now. There's who knows where we're going to be able to have fans, how many fans, etc. at some of the remaining races. There's not a lot of income coming in. We certainly know that there's going to be a Indy 500 held where giant losses uh, are taking place. So, yeah, the one thing that I don't believe anyone is going to want to do is to make the season any longer than necessary because I don't know if everyone knows how it's going to be paid for. Could say, well, hey, didn't some teams have to give back some money because the season was shortened? Would those sponsors give it back if more races were added on? Uh, Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, Steve. I think most of the companies we're talking about are having to tighten their own belts because of downturns in so many things on their end financially. So, yeah, uh, longer season, more money needed to run it. I, uh, that's that. That's not a thing that's going to be in 2020, my pal. Ross Porter. Marshall, I read in your racer article. This is always something I'll just mention. If you refer to an article, please tell me which one, because I do a lot of them, and I really, truly don't commit a lot of them to deep memory. So uh, I read in your racer article that it's unknown if Chevrolet has signed a supply extension past 2021. Are you hearing anything in either direction, and should this be a cause for concern? I wouldn't put it as a cause for concern, Ross. I would put it as kind of sort of normal for where we're at in COVID-19. Again, all the aforementioned downturns in business and sales and everything else, this is a really not great time to ask any manufacturer to sign a brand new extension. And if you are able to get them to sign, then it's probably going to have a lot of clauses in there that allows them to get out if global, if not domestic, financial fortunes improve. So I would not put Chevrolet in any kind of special box like they're oh, they're on the fence, they want to leave. I have heard that, look, they're still as hardcore a group of racers as ever. Nothing has changed, but it's also just not a great time to say, oh, yeah, sign us up for many years of a lot of money. Uh, not a lot of those contracts getting signed anywhere right now in uh, motor racing Ross. So do I think Chevrolet will be back? I would say, yeah, I'm not saying I would put a hundred percent, uh, percentage on that. I would say somewhere over 50, but they have come into the sport before they have left the sport before they have come back into the sport 
they will leave at some point in time. Every manufacturer does. It's not unique to Chevy or Honda. Um, I just really hope that COVID-19 is not the thing combined with this new engine formula coming that leads them to say, I don't think we can do that. So ask Jay Fry about this a day or two ago when we were on the good old Tell-O phone and he didn't have any updates in terms of yay, nay, or otherwise, but did say in ongoing and positive talks with both manufacturers on a regular basis. So there you go. Uh, Robbie Bergren. Hey, you sound like a guy who submitted a question not too long ago. This is Marshall. If I remember correctly, you had Ayrton Dare on your Team Extreme IRL season. Can you give a critique of him as a driver? I got to see good old Ayrton Dare from Brazil uh, for a year or two before that in Indy Lights and thought that he was of a crop of very talented Brazilian drivers. He was not a guy who lacked bravery. A uh, bit of a hammerhead, but I like, you know, I like those kind of guys. Yeah. Was sharing uh, with uh, our friend uh, Jaron that he, uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, how do I say this? Knowing that there are indeed some, uh, maybe some younger folks who are listening. Um, there were some instances in airports, for example, where we would be traveling, you know, the whole team would be catching a flight out, uh, Ayrton as well. Um, Davy Hamilton maybe as well that season. Um, but we would be catching a flight out from wherever and Dare would whip out his laptop and he had some sort of, you know, LCI air card or something that he got from Canon or whomever. So he had, you know, it wasn't Wi-Fi. It was just a mobile intern, a mobile phone connection, uh, through his laptop. And let's just say that there was a group of Brazilian drivers. Um, some of them in cart, some of them in the IRL, some of them in the Indy lights at formula Atlantic, Toyota Atlantic, categories even formula one who would try to top one another with adult film clips by email or a link to one and so dare who the man did not have the embarrassment gene inside any crevice uh, we, I remember, I think it was Las Vegas, maybe might've been there for a test or something. I don't know. Uh, flying, waiting to fly to Las Vegas. Uh, he was at the same gate as the rest of us and he just plops down, opens up his laptop, plugs in the little phone card, buddy dials up, opens up his email and I do recall it was a Formula One driver at the time who uh don't remember what team he was with, but he would go on to be member of a very famous Formula One team. Um and I think there were one or two other drivers as well that I remember that were on the email chain, but you know, it was some sort of like click this link or watch whatever it was. And it's just acts 
between a man and a woman that even in the adult industry probably should have never been filmed. And, oh, I'm not talking about kind of hiding it on his laptop and hitting the mute button. No, 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 no. Dare, there's not a bashful bone in his body. Sorry for that. Uh, Not a bashful piece of anything in that guy's composition. So I'm not saying he had the volume cranked all the way up, but it was certainly something where anybody sitting within about a 10-foot radius, and there were people in that 10-foot radius or whatever, were hearing some very animalistic sounds. And it was very clear that it wasn't animals. And uh, I remember sitting across from him while this was going on. I don't genuinely recall. I'm sure that I looked over the top to see who it was from or whatever, because that was always the fun, right? Like, oh, my gosh, if people only knew, uh, you know, the the folks participating in this. And it just seemed like it was a one-upsmanship, because this wasn't the only time. There were others, for sure. But he just didn't care. He thought it was funny, and so he'd hit play on whatever. And it's just this thing where you're going, this guy is legitimately watching pornography in the airport at his gate with people all around and knowing it's going to shock and whatever people and not caring at all. It just love the guy. Not because of that, but because of the balls. Like, to just be that much of a i'm my own man i don't care like again i realize it's not a good thing so again public service announcement don't do this don't do this bad i don't believe there are any kids around right i mean there was nothing that i recall in this one instance that i'm referring to where it was like oh you know this is seriously like there are kids around and whatever else and you this is despicable if there was i would have said something there wasn't for whatever reason there just happened to be adults around and it was still a thousand percent wrong none of what i'm saying is endorsing this as right but i love the guy because he was so much his own man ah, he's willing to live with whatever repercussions i just it was crazy uh it was just crazy so he was also a really good driver too um the team extreme that i worked for one of the worst teams I've ever worked for at any level. I have worked, this is not a joke, I have worked for a friend, might have been around this time during the off-season, where we were running Spec Racer Fords in local SCCA club events. Three to four people total, maybe five just a dually and a 44-foot tag-along trailer behind it with two or three Spec Racer Fords. That was better run, better managed, better quality people, better everything. Now, granted, while working at Team Extreme, there were some fine, fine people. Not saying everybody wasn't. Uh, Jeremy Millis. Some of you know is Alexander Rossi's race engineer. Uh, Jeremy Millis got his start there, I believe. Yeah, 2000 when I was there and whatnot. That was his first season in IndyCar. So known him since then, love him. Obviously, that guy's crazy talented. Uh, Terry Wilbert, who is one of the chief mechanics. Man, I love me some Terry Wilbert all day long. 
again, there are a couple other folks that were pretty sharp, but by and large, oh, that was a extreme dumpster fire. And so, yeah, I've worked for friends with little club racing, local amateur SCCA operations that I no joke would say were better teams with more potential. Um, I hated that season. Boy, I tell you. But Dare, oh my God, that guy, completely insane. Just don't do anything that he did, and you'll probably lead a better life. Um, speaking of Ayrton, our pal Thomas Ayrton, MP, uh, says, thank you for posting the 1995 audio from Phoenix International Raceway. It's my home track, and it's got a ton of history in IndyCar. Shame they don't come by anymore, even for testing. But, oh, uh, we're going Juan Montoya. It is what it is. He says, best wishes and prayers for your family. Thanks, man. Uh, two questions to go. Ryan Charpster, you're back. He says, I just got to throw this prediction out there. I realize this is a radical prediction. Penske and Ed Carpenter Racing get all seven cars into the top nine, fast nine, whatever nine, Paul shootout. MP, who is your hashtag me personally front row prediction? Whoo. Well, I do believe Craig Hampson will be working with Fernando Alonso at spam. Need to confirm that. Uh, if so, that would be my wild card for sure in the front row. After that, oh boy, something tells me Will Power is going to be there. He's on a bit of a mission. A little bit of a toss-up here between Dixon or Rosenqvist. I don't know why. Feeling like feeling like Felix might have a little something. The Andretti guys, obviously, you can't count them out. Ed Carpenter, you can't count him out. Connor, I mean, there's so many you can't count out. I don't know where Andretti's going to be. That's among the most fascinating topics going into the 500. Do they recapture their front-running form that's been missing for most of the year because they're really good at the Indy 500? If so, Colton Herta, could he be another spoiler? Uh, Rossi, maybe. But, yeah, I don't know why. But if I am right, and it is Hampson, and it is... Triple F, fast effing Fernando. Oh, that that seems like a brutal combination of talent being matched with talent. Uh, after that, yeah, I'd throw at least one Penske there. I don't know. Feels like we gotta gotta name a Honda of some sort. And yeah, I'll just go wild, another kind of wild card of Rosenquist. So there you go. Uh, we're gonna close the show with our man. John Wojnar, who I refer to as John Ranjow, because I really can't pronounce your last name, says, Brother Marshall, if you had to replace your cats, Rocky and Rosie, with two drivers from the IndyCar paddock, who would you choose and why? Ah, I love these kind of questions. Who would I choose and why? So I don't know what to do here, John. Do I choose the replacements for Rocky and Rosie based on drivers with what I think might be matching personalities? Rosie... She's completely insane. She meows constantly. She bites me always. I am her favorite food group. She is the most loving and sweetest cat possible when she wants to be. She runs her, we call them brother and sister. They aren't, but that's fine. She runs her older brother around, chases him around. He's slightly bigger than her. But she treats him like he's a mouse chasing him, which is funny. Um, 
she's a little all over the place. Uh, I might not have picked up on the microphone, but she's meowing again in the background, probably because I mentioned her name. Um, so crazy talks a lot is all over the place is constantly chasing people down or around is really loving and super caring though. That has to be willpower, right? I mean, the guy, what, of all the current drivers leading in pole positions, always chasing people, always the fastest kind of thing in that setting. Kind of insane, right? Talks a lot, and maybe not in public, right? I realize that you don't get to see more than a one- or two-minute interview with Will Power after a race or whatever, but, like, the guy, you know, his brain's always working. He's always got something usually really interesting to say, but... I, John, I think Rosie and uh, and Willie, they are absolutely kindred spirits. Rocky, okay, so he's not the biggest boy in the world, but he at times can think he is. Um, he is very insistent about having things his way when he wants them, although we try to feed them at 3 in the afternoon every day consistently. There are days, as my wife puts it, he strikes up the band and starts the meowing and complaining and nagging to be fed at like 11.45. So I don't think they've been fed later than 2 o'clock for most of the year because with Rocky leading the band, it's just, yeah. And I, this might sound crazy, but in order to do my job, which is to write and report and analyze and be introspective and whatever it involves the ability to think somewhat clearly and when you have cats going meow meow non-stop uh it's a little bit of a challenge so yeah so they get fed earlier because of rocky usually so i'm trying to think someone who's really insistent always needs things his way when he wants it how he wants it isn't the biggest guy but he can certainly at times try and flex a little bit He's the softest thing in the world. He's a beautiful little guy, too, so he's always commented on wherever. If we take him in from the groomers and whatnot, how pretty he is, how soft he is. Uh, very insistent. Needs things very exact. Hmm. Here's a couple drivers I might be able to drop into that bucket. Uh, I might say Sebastian Bourdais, right? Seb's not the biggest guy, but, you know, he is... He can flex. Um, very insistent about things being his way. Yeah, actually, Rocky is Sebastian Bourdais. 1,000%. Seb's reputation, everything has to be perfect. And if it is not perfect, you will not hear the end of it until you get it there. And if you don't, you'll hear about it because you didn't. Um, yeah. Wow. I never put that together. <laughs> Rocky is a French champ car champion who's also a dear friend so you know what we we're probably going to find out john seb has a fat cat who talks a lot uh but also needs his peace and quiet um who likes ketchup and likes belgian beers and uh also is fond of of the squared circle aka pro wrestling so 
that's probably the cat that Sebastian has. And he could say, I've got a Marshall Pruitt cat. And why did I not take this fella back and pick something better? That's my guess, John. But uh, yeah, Rocky, that is Sebastian Bourdais, 1,000%. And Rosie, that is Will Power. How funny. I've got Will and Seb as pets, and those two, by coincidence, are actually good personal friends as well. So not professional friends. Uh, They're professional friends, too. They're also personal friends. Hashtag me personally. All right. I'm so happy you got this done in less than two hours. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, torontomotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Next thing you're going to hear the week in IndyCar is our man Tony Kanan joining us as our guest. And then we're going to try and do the Day at Indy podcasts as well. Like I mentioned, I think I'm going to have James Davison on maybe on Wednesday. Elton Julian, team owner of Dragon Speed, probably in there, maybe right after, I don't know. But got ideas on who you'd like to hear from, let me know. If it's Fernando Alonso, it ain't happening. Uh, Fernando's got better things to do. But yeah, as the days go by, as we are running at Indy and you think of someone that's done something interesting or otherwise, uh, drop me a note on the good old tweeters or book faces or whatever and give me a suggestion on who you might like me to have on. Could be a driver, could be a team owner, whomever. There's a little caveat here. If it's always the fastest driver or some sort of big, big name, those tend to be the ones that have either fully booked schedules or folks around them who do their best to protect them and not make them do last-minute things like jumping on some idiot's podcast. But send me your ideas. I'll do my best to a calm O-date. Other than that, I'll speak to you here shortly with our man, Antoine Kanon.